The week is almost over, so pour that coffee. And let's discuss what's going on in Milwaukee, Madison, Washington, and beyond. It's the Political Power Hour on WTMJ Now. Joining Steve Scafidi, here's Joe Sapecki and Bill McCaution. Should we talk about the government? Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday, Political Power Hour, Packers Weekend. We'll get to some of that later, but uh, joining me, of course, on the uh, Political Power Hour, Joseph Becky, Democratic strategist Bill McCaution, who drove in all the way from uh, wherever the hell you live now. <laughs> on the worst roads in Wisconsin and Madison. Yeah. yeah. What was with drivers this morning, by the way? Come on, people. You were, you were asking for the snow, and then once we get it, you can't drive in it. Yeah. I had no problems getting in. Lake looked beautiful this morning. That's nice for you, Joe. We, yeah. we want you, above all else, Bill and I want you to be happy <laughs> I know. every week. All right, so this week, it almost seems like, like three weeks ago. Yeah. I have it's a caucus that started the actual voting process. I think it's weird and unrepresentative and, and stupid and archaic, but your thoughts, Joe, on the uh, Iowa caucuses? The Iowa caucuses are a remarkable slice of Americana that have probably outlived their usefulness. Yes, absolutely. The Democrats have already decided that Iowa is no longer first. Probably only a matter of time until Republicans do as well. But let's be candid. The the demographics of Iowa more closely match the Republican Party than they do the Democratic Party. This is what Kevin McCarthy was saying, you know, in his sort of farewell addresses. So, listen, I'm not here to make you guys feel worse about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) How did that come out of your mouth? I feel very good about myself. I feel good, too. (laughs) But as the the chair and co-chair of the Nikki Haley fan club, a third-place finish behind Ron DeSantis is not what we were expecting. It's just not. How about a first-place finish in New Hampshire? If Okay. Yeah, that would turn things around for her. There we go. And I don't think that's going to happen. And... You know, the takeaways are pretty jarring, right? We all, the three of us all thought that Trump would win. Yep. I was the only one who had him over 50, and he got over 50. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks ago, we were sitting here, and Mr. McCaution was talking about, you know, giving me, saying, like, oh, Joe's being pretty fair that, like, the over-under for a Trump victory of 15 is probably about right. And he won by 30. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Ron DeSantis edged out Nikki Haley. And... So to me, this just looks like what I've been trying to tell you guys, which is hoping for an alternative, looking for somebody to knock Trump off and make you know your lives and Republicans' lives easier. It's not going to happen. That's my takeaway. So um, several things. I was all about expectations. Actually, all the early caucuses or primaries are about expectations. The expectation for Trump was based on the final Des Moines Register poll that he would win by a considerable margin. They had him at 28. He ended up winning by, I think, 31. So he exceeded that expectation. He was over 50, right? Um, The largest win in Iowa caucus history. Largest win in Iowa caucus history. So arguably, Trump exceeded expectations, even though they were high to begin with. DeSantis also exceeded expectations because... The final Des Moines Register poll had him tied with Haley, and he ended up beating her only by a couple points, but he picked up five points, depending on the poll you were looking at, over the final two weeks of the campaign. So his investment in Iowa did pay off to a, to a point, but he got no bounce out of it. Haley uh, didn't – well, she met expectations. She was supposed to be in third until the very end, then she, some polls had her tied for second or slightly ahead of that. 
She ended up coming in third. Uh, the notion that she made it a two-person race coming out of there is, was <laughs> not accurate. And Vivek, he didn't meet expectations. So he's out. And and endorsing Trump and Steve and I predicted that months and months and months ago. So Him and Doug Burgum. Don't forget about the Bergamentum behind Donald Trump. Yeah. So, what state's he governor up there? <laughs> Somewhere we're, west. We're now on to New Hampshire, and and now Haley has to win New Hampshire to change the dynamic of this. She can probably finish within the margin of error, which is five points or less, but if he's a double-digit winner, this whole thing's over, and it's time to move on. Some recent polling suggests in New Hampshire she was she was trending up, but that seems to have pulled back a little bit. What do you? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the most recent polls by USA Today and uh, Boston Globe Suffolk have her down by fifteen points already. Which is not good. And, and I guess my question for both you guys is: if that if Trump wins again in a dominant fashion, it's and, over. I think it's over in two races. Done. Yep. It's yeah. Done. I, when you look at Marco Rubio, the, you know, Mitch McConnell signing onto letters. Mike Lee, the Republican establishment, is coming to grips with this sooner than you guys are, which is Donald uh, Trump's going to be the nominee. If I could swear on the radio, I would right here. Those guys are all chicken. You know uh, yeah. what? Right? Yeah. I mean, they have the fact for that years. the fact that they endorse him after the fact is total BS, in it, my opinion. That is the weakest politician move in the history of the world. I played it on the show. Their comments three years ago yeah. versus today about Trump. My, even Ted Cruz. It's like, yeah, night and day. It's get like, come your on, tongue out of his hind end. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Welcome to the party, Bill. This is what I've been trying to tell you about your party for the last <laughs> couple right, years. But I'm going to come back to something you said earlier. Had I been an Iowan on mm-hmm. Monday, I would have caucused for Ron DeSantis. The reason is he could serve two terms. He is the most conservative guy in the race. He delivered on the conservative agenda time and time again, and he grew the party. Those are things I think... In a prior day, Republicans would have rallied around. But in this environment, with an incumbent in the race, Donald Trump is an incumbent, you know, that all got overlooked. One of the things that doesn't get talked about enough, given the fact that we have Haley and DeSantis and Trump, let's say it's, it looks like Trump's going to be the nominee. Let's say he's the, he's in the general. Let's just say, and I'm not predicting this, he loses to Biden. Anything can happen. We saw what happened in 2016. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis have put themselves in really good position for 2028. I agree with that. I'm it's, not sure I agree with that, but why would finish you not, the point. I mean, this is what you do. You set yourself up for a future run. They know what it's like to run in Iowa and New Hampshire early primaries. They know the things they're going to face in debates and those challenges, doing all the press. Ron DeSantis admitted he screwed up on the press he in did. the beginning of his campaign. Yeah. You learn those things, you become really strong candidates in 2028. Joe Biden, if he wins... He ain't going to be running again. So that's a, a viable option for these people. That may be why what's driving them. Did Ron DeSantis get a personality transplant in the last 24 hours that I don't know about? <laughs> no, like, but seriously, Ron DeSantis was ahead of Trump a year in ago. national polling. Yeah. He had all the money in the world. Yeah. He has run one of the worst campaigns in modern American presidential campaign, why do we history? think he ran at the worst case? I mean, you're around these the, the, those guys. I, are I actually these agree campaigns. with that, and I would I would argue that Haley has run the best campaign for the last 12 months. It got it got away from her in the last 10 days. They there was let, some slippage. Let the expectations game get the best of yeah. them. They got a full head of steam. But and overall, Betsy over and that team, yeah. I think, ran the best campaign in 2023 and early 24 with a couple missteps. But DeSantis's campaign was flawed from the beginning. Right. They, they, first, they were going to never respond to Trump. Right. And Trump was bludgeoning them, bludgeoning them for months and months and months. Then they weren't going to announce until after the uh, he was done with his legislative session in early May. 
Trump kept going. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll close with then they had this bungled announcement on I think it was still Twitter then it might have been X, but it, it was a disaster. Right. And it never got better. And, and so, yeah, I would argue DeSantis can come back. I agree with Steve on that. But the campaign was poorly run. All right. He's Bill McCosh and Joseph Pecky. After the break, the state of the race, the two people that are actually probably going to be the nominees. Let's discuss Biden and Trump after this political power hour. WTMJ. It must be love, love, love. Oh, it's a little Packers theme. It's a Jordan song. Oh, yes. A lot of love. You know, because of... Hey, there's your best friend, Brandon Snide. Yes, they're from Twitter. There he is. Interrupting interrupting my show so he can get some love from my guests. Well, he wants to know why you guys bet against the Packers. That's what I was just going to say. I'm going to do it again. You both picked against Green Bay last week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pick him this week, so maybe I'll make up for (laughs) it. That's why Bill's my favorite. Yes. You shouldn't have Yes. You should love everyone equally. Isn't that the world we live in now at GKB? Come on there, Brandon. Big time sports guy Brandon Snyder making a very short appearance on the program. All right. Joseph Pecky, Democratic strategist Bill McCaution on the Republican side of the aisle. The two people that are probably going to be the nominees, right? Joe Biden, current president. Donald Trump, former president. What's the state of the race today, Bill? The matchup no one wants, right? And but, that's what we're going to get. What everybody's going to get. Yeah. So my biggest concern, uh, frankly, coming out of Iowa was the turnout being so depressed it was down 40 percent from 2016 was it just weather i don't think so i don't think so we'll we'll know a little bit more when we get through new hampshire next tuesday but uh there isn't as much excitement on our side as there should be this should be a phenomenal year for the GOP, and uh, that has me concerned is where is our enthusiasm right now one of my questions was if trump is the nominee and he loses a lot of this stuff we've talked about, you know, the impact of having someone like a former president who's gotten, what, 91 indictments facing him, who says the most outlandish things, unpresidential things that any president, I can't say ever because I haven't been around for all the, all the years. But in recent times, the risk of having a candidate like that is you blow up the party and it takes it sometimes can take a long time to heal those wounds or maybe they don't heal, Bill. Well, I think the challenge, and we're going to get to this in a different segment today, is how he brings the party together, right? And, and the, the notion that he might pick someone who's identical to him or extremely loyal to him as the VP versus trying to grow the party and bring voters like me back. Uh, you know, I, I think they have to be strategic about that. This is ultimately about math. It's about winning. And and somebody that looks like him that adds nothing to the ticket means it is a is an absolute disaster for Republicans. I would argue that's exactly who's going to pick though, because he wants a yes person. Uh, that would be a problem. Uh, you know, I think Biden is c- incredibly vulnerable for a variety of we- reasons, which I talk about every week, starting with his age. Uh, start, uh, you know, going to the border, going to the economy. Um, you know, this should be a Republican advantage, and and if if we only go sort of straight through the D- Donald Trump and his disciples route, uh, you know, it's going to be a, ta- a jump ball. You can only operate within the system as it exists. And so in the last segment we talked, I talked about uh, Trump has got this thing. He is an overwhelming 30-point winner. He's going to rack, rack, rack up wins and put this away early. The flip side of that is that this process and the system by which we pick our nominees represents such a small slice of America. Right. For sure. Four, four percent, four out of every 100 Iowans were a part of the Iowa caucuses on Monday. Yeah. And of those four, every two of them, half of them wanted somebody other 
than Donald Trump. Right. So the four Iowans who are the most involved in Republican politics, the most conservative, that they care enough to participate in a nominating process, half of them, Donald Trump has work to do it. And so eventually that's going to catch up with him because divide. we've said it before, divided parties don't win elections. They don't. And when this gentleman is conducting himself in a way where, again, this week we see the all-caps Screaming at the top of his lungs, if the president does it, it's not a crime. That's the behavior of a wannabe authoritarian, of a potential tyrant. And that is why half of Iowa Republican caucus goers are looking for somebody else. This guy is a problem for this, for our democracy. He is a problem for the Republican Party. And yet here we are barreling headlong into a reality where he is nominated again. And as that happens, and with every subsequent nominating contest, my prediction is Joe Biden's numbers are going to look a lot better because people are going to stop comparing Joe Biden to the almighty and start comparing him to the alternative. Two things. One, do and Bill kind of alluded to this, do you, do you sense that the whatever apathy we saw in Iowa is going to be representative of the entire circle of primaries i'm afraid for well for republicans i'm afraid it is okay and the other number i want to share 67 percent more than two-thirds of iowa caucus goers were over the age of 50 yeah we keep hearing this that they're like oh trump's gonna do better with young voters and joe biden has a young voter pro- based on what yeah again I, i'm not a fan of caucuses and, and i have iowa first uh, i know it's a tradition and in, in, in a you know his, historically think about there was like 300 million dollars spent there yeah it's I just mean, insane for a hundred and ten thousand votes let's talk about your guy joe biden yeah what's he doing through all of this is he just watching it happen uh, on the politics or on like he's running the country on the, on the campaign <laughs> you know for his second he's term. trying to keep the houthis get, from disrupting shipping lanes that's a whole other conversation. he's trying to negotiate a border deal the campaign part of him running that. for president again I mean, he's, he certainly has to pay attention to it. Yeah. He, there, there's there's problems. I, I, you mentioned one of them, or Bill did, the border. And, he, and he's raising a ton of money, $97 million dollars cash yeah. on hand. He's building out his campaign team here in Wisconsin and across the battleground states, adding folks, it seems like, every couple of days. So, you know, I, I think from from my standpoint, there are politicians who are better candidates than they are as, you know, running a government. And there are folks who are better at running a government than they are at campaigning and politicking. Well, some people and would I, argue that Joe Biden doesn't even get involved in campaigning. He just shows up every once in a while everybody else makes, and, and, makes the call. And I'm okay with that because I think he is a better president than he is candidate. This is a guy who has gotten major pieces of legislation passed. The economy is cooking. I know people are like there's a lag and a disconnect. But when you look at the numbers, things are going well. When you look at the international you know, crises that are going on. Joe Biden is doing making the best of a awful set of situations and scenarios. This guy's a good president. You guys don't want to admit it, but at some point you're gonna you know, maybe it's twenty years from now. What's you're gonna look back and go, Holy cow. On the list of, of things, criteria for you say good or great president. Good. I said okay. good good president. What's the like the top three? What what would that be? Good economy. Reagan, were you gonna say Reagan? No. No, <laughs> good economy. Okay. You know, a uh, good steward of American values and our role in the world, safe, uh, yeah. able to implement an agenda. He's done all three of those things. Usually you look at the job approval of the incumbent, you look at their favorability, and you look at the right direction wrong track. What was George Washington's job approval? 
Not sure. But, but <laughs> not we believe sure. He was a pretty I feel good like I might have right? been there, right? I, I feel a little bit older every week, but yeah. I, I wasn't there. So uh, he's upside down with the job approval for sure. He uh, right track, wrong direction is a third of the country thinks we're heading in the right direction. Two thirds thinks we're think we're off on the right, wrong track, and his favorability's underwater. So the traditional metrics of campaigns on whether or not a, an incumbent is vulnerable. He's in the wrong spot on all of them. Got to take a break here. Bill McCosh, Republican strategist. Joseph Hackey, Democratic side of the aisle. Lots more to get to, including who the uh, former president might pick for his VP. Some names being thrown out there. It's a, it's a very important question because, as Bill said, do you add to your uh, vote total or do you just kind of play it safe and pick somebody that just says yes to everything you say? We'll discuss Political Power Hour, WTMJ. Hopefully hurts the 49ers on Saturday night. See what I did there? Yes. Charlie's got it going on back there. He's, he's, good not, he's not sleeping back there, even though Brandon almost took over the show a little bit earlier. You should have elbowed him out of the way. All right. So there's a lot of speculation right now about who wants to be or who the president, the former president Donald Trump's going to pick for VP. Elise Stefanik, Christy Nome, uh, Tim Scott. What do we think, Bill? Is there a name that makes... There's two ways you can look at this. One, who Trump wants, which I think is vastly different than what maybe Republicans want. How do you see it? Uh, I think he ought to play the big game, play addition. I think Nikki Haley would be at the top of that list. And some of of your listeners may be sliding off the road on their car with me saying that right now. Mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you, if Donald Trump tells his supporters she's fine, she'll be fine. There is no chance would his, she say yes, his hardcore supporters would stay home if he picked her. She adds to the ticket. She helps with suburban moms. She certainly brings in moderates and independents who we need to win a national election. So she'd be at, at the top of the list. Ron DeSantis, frankly, would be number two for me because he is the most conservative guy. So if you want traditional Republicans like me to be more excited about this, you want to see the future, right? Because Trump can only serve one term. And then there's some argument for Vivek, believe it or not. I'm not a huge fan, but he does have an appeal with young voters. So those three people actually add to the ticket. Christy Noem, zero. Anybody Lee Stefanik, zero. Anybody that's not running. Or yeah. Was, like somebody else, who? Listen, uh... Tim Scott doesn't help at all. I don't see where that is. He gets any additional votes. Christy Noem doesn't help. I don't think Elise Stefanik helps. You know, a guy like Brian Kemp, that would be outside the box. Uh, the governor of Georgia, who is not a Trump fan, who Trump went after. Don't you think whoever he picks is going to be a Trump fan? Have you been paying attention to Donald Trump for the last I'm trying to give him unsolicited advice. He's not going to listen to it. This is the most shallow vapid, vain man who has maybe ever walked the face of the earth. Reporting that I saw this week from you know the, the books from these Republican administration officials. When Rex Tillerson stepped or was fired, you know, on yeah. the toilet uh, as Secretary of State, and they were trying to figure out who was going to be the next Secretary of State, Jared Kushner, Ivanka, a lot of people around Trump are going, you have a built-in, ready-made, ready-to-go Nikki Haley, who has been ambassador to the United Nations. Just bump her up a slot. And Trump says, no, she's got the complexion thing. (laughs) I I didn't even know this was a thing. Apparently, she's got some complexion thing on her cheeks, and he thinks that means she doesn't look the part and can't be Secretary of State. You think he's going to make her vice president? No, No, I I don't think he's going to The guy is nuts. I think he's going to pick Elise Stefanik because he needs women. 
But he's she doesn't help though. But but you don't based on what no, I just said, she's a moderate. Listen, it, it, for guys like me, she does nothing. She she's a moderate. She like had her day, day in like the sun. Her, so. She got two pelts from two you, you know Ivy League college presidents. But but she she's a moderate. I mean, in in a traditional sense, she is a rhino. She adds nothing for guys like me. Does Donald Trump look at Elise Stefanik and say she looks the part? I don't know. <laughs> I don't try to guess what Donald Trump thinks because it's a dangerous. She does not look the part. She does not look uh, qualified. And, and that's the reality. If he's going to pick a woman, it's going to be a more conventionally attractive woman, and therefore I will put my money on Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota. I wish that wasn't the case. That's not how any of this should work. But after watching Donald Trump for eight years, I don't have the ability to give him any more credit than that. Look, I mean, look at this lawyer he's got defending him in court, who the, the judge has to talk to like she's a first-year law student. The only redeeming quality she appears to have is she looks the part of central casting. You think that's why he picked her? I, I do. And, and, and I can't let this segment end without pointing out. We have a really great vice president right now who will be oh here in the God. great state of Wisconsin on who will be Kamala? here in the great state of Wisconsin on Monday. Right, are you working mark, on that appearance? To I mean, mark what are you the doing anniversary here? of Roe v. Wade and fundamental rights that were stripped away thanks to Donald Trump and his Supreme Court picks, and of all the places in all the land she could come to to mark that day and talk about access to reproductive health care, she's coming here to Wisconsin. Well, by the way, there'll be a big Republican Wisconsin abortion bill announced today. There'll be a hearing Monday. It'll be on the assembly floor next week. Okay. You heard it here first. Oh. Interesting. Breaking news. Breaking news. All right, we'll take another break here. Lots more to talk about with the guys, the political power hour on WTMJ now. 939 on WTMJ. Thanks for tuning in. I know a lot of folks you folks turn tune in to hear Bill and Joe on Friday. Bill McCosh and Joe Zapecki, the political power hour. And me. I think I show up just to see what you guys have to say. That's all. Yeah, we, and we have we have some of our best discussions during the break, so we're going to have to figure out some way to market that piece of it, like the uh, political power are unplugged. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. So thinking about that, stewing that in my yeah. brain a little bit. All right, gentlemen. Um, I've had show after show, segment after segment about this issue: the border with Mexico, the southern border of the United States, the issues there, the decades-long challenge to come up with something that actually makes sense. Um, I gave the numbers yesterday. The start of the Biden administration, there was, um, I think, about 650,000 contacts. Last year, 2023, 3.2 million. So the flow is not shut off. There's no shut-off valve for that. Why do we want it shut off? Uh, Illegal? uh, No, if there's contacts, we know people are coming. That's just the context, though. If we want to grow this country, why do we want to shut the valve off of immigration? Because the point is the volume. We can't deal with the volume that people are coming across. Uh, It's a policy choice to not deal with the volume. Okay, so that's a great segue to what we're going to talk about. Generations of Congresses and Presidents. Yes. So, right now, there's high-level conversations. The Schumers, the the Johnson, Mike Johnson. um, We have the President of the United States and uh, Mitch McConnell all having this conversation about maybe a deal. But who's that? But some of those folks are acting in good faith, and some of them aren't. That was my and question that's the reality. for Bill. Do you think? Because I've heard Ron Johnson say this. I've heard yeah. Mike Johnson say this. Yeah, we don't really want to do this because it would make the president, current president, look good. Where are we at on this? I think there are plenty of Republican senators who would gladly cut a deal. Uh, and and I can go over the last thirty years and say the same thing about things that would not be in line in alignment with the where the base is. The the will is not there to do it in the United States House of Representatives, at least in the Republican conference. So 
whatever meeting they had this week, they can have 10 more of those. It isn't going to lead to a deal. Uh, this calendar year that Donald Trump has already tweeted out or truthed out. You and know, told Mike Johnson, n- don't do this. No deal. Uh, Johnson admitted on some talk, some shows this week. Yeah. He's been talking to Trump about this. I do not believe there will be a deal. I think it will be the number one issue in the presidential race if it ends up being Biden and Trump, which we are clearly headed towards. Is Johnson his speakership in peril? Because he's he also uh, was in favor of the, the, the continuing resolution, and Donald Trump apparently wasn't. Is so this- we're pretty good at erasing real facts on our side. So the truth is he did the exact same thing McCarthy did. He yes. cut a deal on spending with Democrats. It was overwhelmingly passed. That's exactly why McCarthy was uh, knocked out of office. Uh, Johnson has a very thin wire to walk here. Th- if, thinner he, than McCarthy, if he does anything on the border that the Freedom Caucus is opposed to, he will get uh, they will take him out. So that's that's basically cuts off any chance of anything being done. It won't happen. What do you think from a Democratic position? I, I think Biden's been, the, that's his worst area, is the border policy. I think the party of Ronald Reagan died in Iowa on Monday, and I'm not joking, because the cost of the insanity from Ron Johnson and Mike Johnson and saying, we'd rather have this issue than solve the problem, means that Ukrainian people fighting for their freedom are going to be left without the arms and munitions they need to protect their homes. That's not the party of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan talked about a shining city on a hill. That people walk for weeks and months to get to to make a better life for them and their families. For as much as we complain about how terrible things are, why don't we spend just a moment reflecting on the fact that the folks who are being contacted at the border and are trying to get here are escaping gang violence and countries where armed thugs take over TV stations and radio stations and threaten elected leaders. They want to come here because it's the best place in the world. And what our Republican leaders do is demagogue and make them seem like other and say that they are threat, like poisoning the blood of the country. Get out of here. I don't disagree with that, but there has to be a legal process. Yes. It can't yeah. be yeah. Yes. It can't be mayhem, which yes. is what it is. And Listen, when you, your newest senator, John Fetterman, is now more conservative than at least 30 United GOP United States senators, that's saying something, right? I mean, we got guys that would cave for nothing. It, that's just it's not about who, caving. It's about it, a it rational, about sensible policy. <laughs> it, it, it is not going to happen anytime soon. I think one of the greatest untold stories of the last 18 months is what Governor Greg Abbott has done from Texas, where he is busing or, or flying immigrants, illegal immigrants, to Chicago, to New York. Those cities are busting at the seams now. And so finally, Democrats understand what this means. When it was just going on into Texas, ah, that's his problem. No big deal. Now it's a national issue, and I think it will be the number one issue in the presidential Let, race. Let's talk about Greg Abbott and a policy choice made by the great state of Texas that led to Americans who had the ability to save three migrants who were drowning in a river could have saved them after walking for God knows how many weeks to get to this country. And the Texas policy is you cannot aid and abet and go to the rescue of people and three migrants drown. After weeks of walking for a better life and for freedom, the state of Texas said we don't care, and they had to watch those immigrants drown. That's, in the greatest country on earth, that is appalling. Does this become the issue 
as we move forward through when it becomes a real campaign between Joe Biden and Donald. Is that one of the linchpins of this argument back Republicans and forth? Yeah. want it to be. And I, I'll try to tune down the passion I get on this because the, the no. conversation around immigration is so disconnected from the reality of it. But on the politics of it, this is a good political issue for Republicans. The, clearly, they think so, right. no which question. is why Mike Johnson and Donald Trump would rather run on it than solve it. And these these campaigns aren't run in a vacuum, right? Republicans deciding this is what we want to run on doesn't mean that that's what the entire campaign will be about, right. because Joe Biden and Democrats get to be a part of that conversation, too. And they're going to point to things like, you know, investments in climate and create good job growth for the last few years and the return of American manufacturing. So is it going to be an issue? Yes. And it will be more of an issue and more of a problem because Republicans would rather play politics than solve the issue. Joe made a good point earlier today that this is it will be a choice election. If you're Donald Trump and his team, you want it to be a choice and you want that choice to be about the border. Whose policy was better? What was our border more secure under the Trump administration or under the Biden administration? And the answer is clearly the Trump administration. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. The WTMJ talking text line. I've got a question that I want to ask you guys. I'll give it to you during the break. We will answer that question as best we can. You're listening, of course, to the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Joseph Becky Bill Makasha, Political Power Hour. So a, a texter asked this question on the WTMJ talking text line. Should a former president have that kind of sway over policy, which is happening right now with, with uh, the border, immigration, that being Donald Trump, essentially talking to Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House? Well, how I would answer that is like should is entirely subjective. Right. Right. You, you can believe that former presidents, due to their unique perspective and experience, have something to offer, whether, and I'm not just talking about Trump, I'm talking about all former presidents, but the real, the historical, like, precedent has been that president, former presidents largely fade from public life. Right. George W. Bush is working on his paintings. Uh, Barack Obama is executive producing movies and writing his memoirs. And yeah, like, we trot him out around campaign time and he does big rallies for us. But he doesn't weigh in every day. Right. Uh, Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton were, were guys who, uh, you know, would do overseas envoy missions. Uh, after one of the hurricanes in Haiti, you had Bush 43 and Clinton 42. So like special projects. I, personally, I don't think it's appropriate for a president to weigh in on this kind of stuff whether they're running or not, but certainly if they're running, there's almost no way to avoid it. It's essentially controlling the policy agenda of the U.S. House of Representatives. He he controls the the Republican Party. He does. And it doesn't give a lot of wiggle room for the members of the Senate or the House, right? And that's why some of them are caving and endorsing him now after sitting on the sidelines. I mean, it is the most pathetic thing I've ever seen. But uh, I I think that Johnson has a chance to be a really good and successful speaker. Um We'll see if he gets through the next 60 days. Yeah, I think that that's it. That's the window. If he doesn't get the, the, the actual budget done, like why would, and to, to the satisfaction of his members, he's gone. He's, he's already got people talking about, you know, the motion to vacate. Uh, yeah. and that's not a good thing. I mean, for us as a party, this, this, this fire started by Matt Gates and Nancy Mace. Uh, we may not be able to put out. i got to take another break here because we want to get the grab bag in. Joseph Pecky, Bill McCosh, Political Power Hour, and yours truly. Maybe I'll even have something on the grab bag today. We'll see. That's next. Oh, there we go. He's no baby. Jordan Love is ready to take the reins. All right. The grab bag segment of the 
great hour we do every Friday, the Political Power Hour. Joseph Pecky, Bill McCaution, who wants to go first? I'll go. Okay. I'm in a, I got a good and a bad. Uh, the good is a happy birthday to my wife, my beautiful wife, oh, Carol. Happy Charlie, you can play happy a little music. Birthday. Yeah, find it for uh, us. I, I won't say her age, but she robbed the cradle. She's a little bit older than me. <laughs> uh, you also outkicked her coverage, which you probably heard. I totally outkicked yeah, my coverage. And smart men go for older women. Yeah. So happy birthday to my lovely wife. And then as, on a sad note, a guy I've shared Packer tickets with for 25 years passed this week of uh, pancreatic that. cancer. Jim Morrison, I got a chance to have a final conversation with him a week ago in Green Bay, and we had a lot of laughs. And uh, Jimmy, you're a good one, and rest in peace. Well said. Well said. I don't want to let this week go by without recognizing that Monday was uh, Martin Luther King Day. I had the opportunity to go to the YMCA breakfast uh, in Milwaukee. Wonderful event. Uh, special shout out to Journey, the young woman from Milwaukee Public Schools who wrote a poem in honor of Dr. King and his legacy, uh, and that sort of that march that we're still on to get to. The promised land that Dr. King spoke of and, uh, uh, you know, the mountaintop that he spoke of. So, um, I hope people took a few minutes to reflect on Monday. I, I certainly did. And in 2023, I was able to go to two memorials to Dr. King, one in Washington, D.C., one in San Francisco, wow. California. Wow. Nice. Each end of the country. Yeah. And if I said this the other day on MLK, uh, they, if you have not seen the memorial in Washington, go see it. Actually, go see all the monuments and memorials. <laughs> It, it, the city blows me away. It does, and I've been there a hundred times. Every time I go, it's like the first time I've been. There. And the in twenty last year when I went in the fall, I, I had the opportunity to walk the monuments at night, and it is somehow even more powerful yeah, at night yeah. the way that it Absolutely sort of emerges out of the darkness. Or right, mine's Packers. Uh, my advice for everybody. I'll talk some Packers. We we have the like the fan of the year guy on coming on later in the show. Um, this is bonus football for us. We, none no of us question. expected this. We have we're facing a team that's been our nemesis as of late. But that team beat Aaron Rodgers. They didn't beat Jordan Love. Jordan Love is the hottest quarterback in the NFL. Twenty, I think, twenty-one touchdowns, one interception over his last whatever game, ten games. Yep, that's pretty good against some pretty good teams: Kansas City Chiefs, Detroit Lions at home, right? Chicago Bears, who is, a, is always a nemesis, so they can't beat us to save their lives. <laughs> and they may, you know, they may have a, you know a new quarterback next year, like they do every other year. So. Are you picking the Packers this week? I'm going to pick them. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I got the Packers. I'm, think, per, I'm pretty think, superstitious, so I'm going to try to say exactly what I said uh, last week, which is we've already won. This is no a great question. opportunity yeah, yeah. for these young players to to get some more experience, get some playoff experience. I think the 49ers are a better team, but we've already won just by getting the opportunity. And and by the way, thanks NFL. I love the Saturday night game. Yeah, my Sunday's wide open. <laughs> I can do it. I can watch football. I can not watch football depending on my mood based on Saturday night. Life. So thanks to the NFL for scheduling that. And then if it happens. And Detroit wins two NFC North teams, gentlemen, in the NFC champ. Last time that happened, 2010, and I'm pretty sure we won the Super Bowl that year. So that's we an, did. That's an optimistic way to look at look at it. So that's my grab bag, gentlemen. We'll do it again. Oh, by the way, tease for you both. When I'm gone on the 29th of January, you two have all three hours. Oh boy! I can see the guest list. Oh boy! People already dialing you up to get on that show. All right, and if they do make the NFC Championship game, you'll have something to talk about on that day. All Sounds right, good. Political Power Hour. News is next. WTMJ.